Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, I tell the story of Latrice Curtis, a 21-year-old woman who was found dead on the side of a highway on January 30th, 2008 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Latrice was a college student and a newlywed, but on January 29th, the night before she was found, she called her husband to tell him that she was on the way home after class and she was stopping to get food. But Latrice never made it home. Two days after she was found, an arrest was made. But when the killer is identified as a local minister and former pastor, the community and her family are shocked. But the biggest question to answer was why? This is Latrice's story. For those of you who have heard of Latrice's story before, you already know how twisted this case is. At the center of the story is a young woman who was brutally murdered. And unlike most of our stories, this wasn't at the hands of someone she had a relationship with, but by someone that most people would consider to be the least likely suspect. That is until the whole truth is revealed. At the beginning of 2008, Latrice was living in Raleigh, North Carolina with her newlywed husband, Darren, the couple had gotten married April 27, 2007, after dating for a few months. After previously attending Bennett College and Wake Forest Tech, Latrice enrolled at the University of North Carolina Central, where she was majoring in accounting. She was also working part-time at a local Sears. Her friends and family said that Latrice was the kind of person who encouraged others. And by all accounts, she was a happy person who seemed to always have a smile on her face and was fun to be around. It's not clear where Latrice met Darren, but for them to have gotten married when she was only 20 had to have been a big step for such a young woman. And as much as Latrice may have been in love with Curtis, she might not have really been ready for that level of commitment at that age. Now, most of what we know about Latrice is this sensationalized tale about the circumstances surrounding her murder— and so the details of her life haven't been important parts of her story. What we do know is that Latrice was young, and when you're young, sometimes you don't make the best choices. However, Latrice's choices are not the reason for her death. They did, however, put her in the crosshairs of a killer. 
Latrice had married Darren in the spring of 2007. However, she had also been seeing another man. Now, I don't know if she had been seeing him before she got married or the affair started after, but he was someone who Latrice was having a sexual relationship with, which continued throughout 2007. The young man's name was Stephen, and he too was a student at the school where Latrice was taking classes. And so, although it's not clear, I assume that's how they met. Now, according to reporting, Stephen was a basketball player at the school and had a reputation of being popular with the women on campus. Stephen said that he was aware that Latrice was married, but he said that she had told him that they were separated at the time. But he also had a girlfriend, and so he probably didn't care that she was married. Now, there's no way to know what was going on in Latrice's mind at that time. I mean, maybe she had gotten married too quickly, realized her mistakes, and then won it out. I mean, I couldn't find any information that the young couple was having any significant issues. But nonetheless, Latrice was cheating on Curtis. At the time, Stephen was renting a basement apartment from a local minister, and so their encounters would take place there. On Tuesday, January 29th, 2009, Latrice went over to Stephen's house after attending class. They had sex, the details of which I will spare you, but after they were done, Latrice got in her car and started to head home. Darren said that he got a call from Latrice at around 10 p.m. that night, telling him that she was on her way home from class and that she was going to stop and get something to eat. Stephen decided that he was going to go see his girlfriend, and so he left his house and went over to her place, where he met a friend of his named Warren. Now, while at his girlfriend's house, Stephen said that he spoke to Latrice on the phone while she was driving home. And according to him, during that conversation, she said that she wanted to take their relationship to the next level. Now, Stephen said that he told Latrice that they would talk more about it the next time they saw each other. And he stayed at his girlfriend's house until about 1.30 a.m. and then headed back home. But Latrice did not make it back to the apartment that she shared with her husband that night. At first, Darren said that he thought that maybe Latrice had gone to her parents' house to spend the night. But by the next morning, Latrice still hadn't come home and wasn't answering the phone. At 8.25 a.m. on January 30th, Darren called 911 to report his wife missing. Quote, I talked to her Tuesday night when she was on her way home. She was in the car and everything. She hasn't shown up since, Darren told the 911 dispatcher. Now, little did Darren know that about an hour before he reported Latrice missing, 911 had begun receiving calls about a body on the side of the I-540 highway. When police arrived, they found the body of a woman on the side of the road. She had been stabbed over 40 times. Her throat had been slashed, and she had blunt force trauma to the back of her head. A white Nissan Sentra was found several feet away from where the body was found. Now, as fate would have it, not long after placing that call to 911, Darren got in his car and began driving down the I-540 highway. He said that he was trying to find Latrice at that time, but as he drove down the highway, he stumbled across the crime scene and he noticed the Nissan, the exact car that his wife was driving. But before jumping to conclusions, Darren said that he tried to figure out first who his wife's last contact was. 
Now, according to court records, Darren was able to access Latrice's phone log when he discovered that she had placed several calls to Stephen's number the night before. And so Darren called the number. He introduced himself and told Stephen that Latrice had not come home. Now, I don't know what took place during that call, but apparently Stephen asked Darren to let him know if Latrice was okay. After speaking to her that evening, Stephen had not spoken to Latrice again that night. However, when he woke up the next morning, he did notice that he had received a missed call from her at around 2 a.m. Now, when Darren finished speaking to Stephen, he decided to go back to the crime scene on I-540. And when he did, he realized that the car was Latrice's. When he pulled over to speak to the troopers at the scene, he found out that his wife was dead. Quote, I showed them a picture. I said, this is my wife. This is her car up there. Please tell me that's not her under the tarp, Darren recalled to WRAL5. But it was Latrice, and she had been murdered. That morning, Latrice's father happened to be watching the news when the story broke about a body being found on the highway. At the time, he had no idea that it was his daughter, but by that afternoon, her parents too would receive the devastating news that Latrice had been murdered. At around 11 a.m. that day, Darren was brought into the police station to answer questions about his wife. Now, Darren didn't have an alibi for that night, but he did give police a DNA sample and took a lie detector test. He also allowed them to search his car and the apartment that he shared with Latrice. Determining Latrice's last movements was going to be crucial in determining who killed her. But as police began their investigation into who killed her, a tip from a state trooper would help police to quickly put the pieces of this puzzle in place. At 1.30 a.m. on the 30th, a highway patrol trooper saw a vehicle near the scene where Latrice's body was found on I-540. The hazard lights were on and the driver's side window was halfway down. The door was locked, but the keys were in the ignition, and no one was around. The trooper said he also noticed the white Nissan Sentra that belonged to Latrice on the opposite side of the I-540, with its hazard lights on. The trooper said that he saw Latrice's car in the location where her body was later found that morning. And so he said that he decided to run the plates of the first car that he found— and discovered that the vehicle was registered to a man named Robert Reeds. When the detectives assigned to the case first came across the name Robert Reeds, they had no idea who he was, and neither did Latrice's family. The presence of the car seemed like it may have just been a coincidence and potentially unrelated to Latrice's tragic demise. However, as the investigators delved further into the details, an intriguing connection emerged. Robert Reeves shared an address with none other than Latrice's lover, Stephen. In the initial stages of the investigation, law enforcement was left grappling with the mystery of how, if at all, these two men were intertwined with this heart-wrenching puzzle. Yet, as the days progressed, the truth, astonishing and unsettling, began to unfold. It wouldn't be long before the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. 
revealing a truth more shocking than anyone had anticipated. On January 30th, 2008, Latrice Curtis's body was found on the side of a highway in Raleigh, North Carolina. She last spoke to her husband around 10 p.m. the night before, but she never made it back home. As police began the investigation into her brutal murder, they began to uncover a web of secrets, lies, and deception. Within hours of Latrice's body being discovered, investigators got a huge break in the case when they spoke to a state trooper who had run the tags of a car he saw near the scene in the early morning hours of January 30th. The car came back registered to a man named Robert Reeves. Robert was a minister at a local church in Durham, North Carolina. And although police were not familiar with him or how he was connected to Latrice, it didn't take them very long to figure it out. Thanks to phone logs, police were able to identify the people Latrice last spoke to. And like her husband, they discovered that Stephen was one of the last people that Latrice had spoken to. They also learned that Stephen was renting a room from Robert Reeves. They now knew what the connection was between Robert and Latrice, but they needed to speak with him and Stephen to find out how or if they were connected to this murder. On February 1st, 2008, two days after Latrice's body was found, both Robert Reeves and Stephen came into the police station to speak to detectives. Now, the first thing that police noticed was that Robert had a cut on his hand and scratches on his legs that appeared to be new. He said that he had gotten the injuries from moving a desk, claims that were later disputed by Stephen, who had helped him move the desk. But during his interview with police, Robert almost immediately began pointing the finger at Stephen. He told police that he knew Stephen had had sex with Latrice on January 29th and that she told Stephen that she wanted their relationship to be more serious. He also told them that Stephen received a call from Latrice in the early morning hours of January 30th and that Stephen had a collection of swords and knives. He also said that he had found a gun under Stephen's pillow. Robert had wasted absolutely no time casting a shadow of suspicion over his roommate. And since Stephen was the one with the connection to the victim, it seemed like police may have found their suspect. But when police questioned Robert about his car being at the scene, he said he had no idea how his car got there. He told detectives that Stephen had access to his car keys at any time and was allowed to use it without permission. He said Stephen had been using his car after his tires were slashed on his vehicle. Now, when asked, he told police, however, that he couldn't recall the last time that Stephen was driving his car. Now, as far as an alibi, he told police that he had been at church at a function that night and he had left home at around 8 p.m. He said that he saw Latrice's white car in the driveway when he left. But when he returned home at around 11 p.m., neither Latrice or Stephen were at the house, and he claimed he never left the house again that night. When police speak to Stephen, he told them about the events that evening and revealed that he had been having an affair with Latrice. 
He told police that he had driven Robert's car in the past after his tires were slashed, but his car had been repaired two weeks prior and that he had not driven the car since then. Stephen told police that when he returned home at around 1.30, that Robert's car was not there. And Stephen also had an alibi. And when police checked the alarm at the house, they saw the code for the alarm was entered at around 1.30 a.m., which was consistent with what Stephen told them. And because everyone in the house had their own code. They also discovered that an hour later, at around 2.30 a.m., the alarm was tripped again. And this time, the master code was entered, a code that only Robert had. Stephen, like Darren, also submitted a DNA sample and allowed police to photograph him. At the crime scene, police had been able to collect a significant amount of DNA. There was blood inside of Latrice's car, and the console was broken. DNA samples were taken from several places inside the vehicle, and the samples contained a mixture of DNA from two people, the main one being Latrice. After collecting the DNA from Darren, they had already been able to rule him out as a suspect. And after getting the sample from Stephen, they were also able to rule him out. The two most likely suspects had been ruled out by DNA. But when police tested Robert's DNA, it came back as a match to the DNA found inside Latrice's car. On February 2nd, 2008, Robert Greaves was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. The arrest of a local minister for a brutal murder sent shockwaves throughout Raleigh and Durham, where Robert's church was located. People who knew Robert from church couldn't understand how he could have been implicated in a murder. And people who knew Latrice couldn't understand either, because as far as they knew, Latrice didn't even know Robert. But as investigators and prosecutors prepare for trial, they discover that Robert was living a double life, and the people in his church had no idea. Stephen had revealed to investigators that he had moved into Robert's home after meeting him at a local mall sometime in 2007. He said that Robert had asked him what he did for a living and told him that he could get him a job. He said that they met several times at the mall, and eventually... Robert offered Stephen a place to live. He told them that he could rent him a room for around $300 a month, and Stephen, who needed a place to stay, took him up on the offer. But not long after moving in, Robert began making sexual advances toward Stephen that he rejected. At one point, he even offered Stephen free rent in exchange for oral sex. A few months after moving in, Stephen's girlfriend, the one whose house he had been at that night, began receiving strange calls from a man. The caller threatened Stephen and said that he was going to break his legs and end his basketball career. Stephen said that he too received calls from a blocked number, and the man on the phone told him that he hoped that he had a gun. And later the day of that call, Stephen said that he found his gun missing and discovered that Robert had confiscated it. On December 11th, 2007, Stephen planned to go to his girlfriend's house, but his car had a flat tire. Stephen said that he fixed the flat at a gas station and then continued to his girlfriend's house. But that night, Stephen again 
began receiving threatening phone calls from a private number. Now, later that same night, as he left to go back home, Stephen discovered that all four of his tires had been slashed. And not so coincidentally, Robert also called him that night, telling him that someone had been ringing his front doorbell and running. And after telling him about his tires, Robert offered to have Stephen's car towed. But Stephen said that he, quote, could tell Robert just wanted me to come home. But Stephen did not return to the house that night because he, quote unquote, didn't think it was safe. The next day, however, Robert towed Stephen's car back to the house and then let Stephen drive his car to school until he could get the money to repair his car. But through their investigation, police discovered that Robert Reeves had three phone lines registered to him, two cell phones and a landline, one of which he called the quote-unquote fun phone. Police were able to trace all of the calls to Stephen and his girlfriend back to Robert's fun phone. Police had concluded that Robert was obsessed with Stephen, and despite his rejection, turned his jealous rage on Latrice. They had come to the conclusion that he had followed Latrice home that night and then killed her, leaving her body on the side of the road. Now, people who attended church with Robert, where he was a minister, could not believe that he was a killer. Quote, he is an awesome man of God. He knows the Bible, knows people, a very classy gentleman. It's not in his character. It's just not him. I really think he was set up, said one of the other pastors from the church where he was a minister. But he said that he had only known Robert for about three years. But what he and the people in his church didn't know was that Robert had a lengthy criminal history that involved criminal sexual conduct with a boy that he was charged for in 1987. And then in 1988, he was arrested on third-degree sex charges, for which he was convicted and then served time for. In September 2009, Robert Reeves went on trial for the murder of Latrice Curtis. The prosecution laid out a case with overwhelming evidence, both physical and circumstantial. Stephen testified and offered graphic detail about the sexual harassment that he had been subjected to at the hands of Robert Reeves. The prosecution said that Robert had a pattern of making sexual advances towards young men, and that Stephen was far from the first. The defense tried to point the finger at Stephen and argued that Robert, who has a disability after being stabbed in New York City several years prior, wasn't capable of stabbing Latrice. Quote, she knows the end is coming. She's fighting. She's alive. Who's the better candidate? A basketball player, an NBA hopeful, or Robert Reeves with a left hand and arm useless, the defense said during the trial. Quote, the motive in this case was not a rebuffed sexual advance at all. Reeves approached Stephen. Stephen refused. Reeves moved on. It was not a motive to kill. It was not a relationship. There was not an emotional bond whatsoever, the defense also said. They argued that the DNA could have gotten in the car through transfer, but they were never able to explain why Robert's car was at the scene. They presented six witnesses before they rested their case, 
But despite their efforts to create reasonable doubt, the jury did not believe them. And Robert Reeves was convicted of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. The motive for Latrice's brutal murder is one that is hard to understand. Killing a woman because she was sleeping with a man that had rebuffed your sexual advances is insane. A minister by day and a predator by night. Nothing that Latrice did warranted her being murdered the way she was. So much of her story, like I said earlier, has to do with her murder and her murderer. The killer pastor sounds like a good story, right? But this story is about a young woman who was brutally murdered for absolutely no reason by a person who portrayed himself as a humble servant of God. And he fooled a lot of people. At just 21 years old, Latrice was a young college student, a daughter, a friend, a sister, and she deserved to live out her dreams. She was more than just a woman caught up in a crazy situation who ended up dead. She was more than just a victim. May Latrice Curtis rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Threads. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.